Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. If you liked our opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, who is local here in Minnesota, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. So we like to have a real conversations with people who are in the trenches and really trying to make a difference here. And our goal is to raise all voices all around the world, from those living with a diagnosis to their families, to those that care and serve them, to advocates, researchers, and so much more. Now, today is a live show, and so you can always call in with your questions at 323-870-4602. And our topic is the Brain Guide, which is a brand new tool that's going to help um, people living with Alzheimer's disease and their care partners as well. But before I introduce you to our guest, I always like to do some shout-outs. So, of course, I want to shout-out to the um, Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory. We encourage you to visit that. We are just uh, beginning to build that. Um, but there's lots of wonderful, wonderful resources, products, and tools for you to access there. Things like the Memory Cafe directory for five different countries, uh, Coral Health, um, which has two apps you can download free, Music First and Coral Faith, um, to Saltbox TV and Zinnia TV and um, Music Men's Minds, so many resources. Um, and that's the whole goal. So go to DementiaMap.com for uh, more information on that. And if you happen to be someone who has a service product or tool, we'd love you to join. Uh, just reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I also want to shout out to uh, Arthur's Memory Cafe. Everyone is welcome to join us there. We meet the second and the fourth Wednesday of the month um, at 1 o'clock Central Time. That is a virtual meeting. And also to the... Um, Connect with Others uh, support group, which is through um, Brookdale North Oaks Group and the Shoreview Community Center. That one actually is meeting in person where our Memory Cafe meets virtually. And that is the last Wednesday of each month. And you can call Shoreview Parks and Rec at 763-913-6140 if you are interested in um, joining us there. And then August uh, 10th, that's a Tuesday at 6.30 Eastern Time, Artist Senior Living is sponsoring an event called Conscious Compassionate Care for Care Partners, um, which again will be virtual, and you can register for that 
by going to theartistway.com forward slash care. And I will be the presenter of that, and I would love to have you join us. Uh, let's see. And if you're planning ahead, November 2nd, Dementia for, or Together for Dementia is having a conference, which is um, sponsored by the Dementia Research Charity Brace um, across the pond. And you can find more information on that if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com on our main, main website as well. And then the last one I want to mention is um, Brain Donor Project. You know, we need brains to be able to assess what's going on in the mind. Um, and they need both diseased brains and those that aren't having any issue at all. So you can go to braindonorproject.org for more information on that. We're going to hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and we'll be right back with our guest. Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Foot Bar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Well, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking with Brooks Kenny, who serves as the executive director of the Women's Network at Us Against Alzheimer's. And if you haven't heard about them, you need to go check them out. They're doing fabulous, fabulous work. Um, she is also the general manager for the Brain Guide, which is what we're going to discuss today. And that's um, really, Us Against Alzheimer's' newest initiative focusing on bringing state-of-the-art technology to consumers across the country um, that are worried about their loved one or maybe their own um, brain health. Um, Brooks has spent her career applying marketing and business know-how to social causes, and um, she has become a national speaker on the women's brain health and Alzheimer's disease in caregiving. So, Brooks, I am so thrilled to have you with us. I know your schedule is really busy, and I'm just thrilled that you were able to carve out an hour to be with us today. So, welcome to the show. Oh, Lori, thank you so much for having me. I've been an avid listener of yours and really admire the work that you do uh, supporting everyone coping with Alzheimer's disease. I'm thrilled to be here on behalf of Us Against Alzheimer's to share more about our work. So thanks for having me. Well, you know, before I go dive into our line of questioning, I always ask everybody if they've personally been touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, that would be wonderful to kick us off. Sure, absolutely. And and I just love that that's a hallmark of your show because I really believe that through storytelling, we can reduce stigma and we can really break down the barriers. And we all know there's still so many barriers in this disease. 
you know, it's an interesting story, at least maybe it's only interesting because it's mine, but um, when I joined Us Against Alzheimer's uh, several years ago, about three weeks into uh, my work here, my mother-in-law began to um, uh, show some signs of cognitive decline. Um, and my husband is, is one of five children. None of us were living close by. And we kind of immediately went into action mode where we needed to not only get to the bottom of what was going on through the very long journey um, and pathway to detection and diagnosis, but then ultimately kind of mapping out how we were going to manage her care from a distance. And so, you know, our diagnosis journey, you know, is not unlike so many others. Well, A, first of all, she actually did get a diagnosis. Um, which, as you know, doesn't always happen in this disease. Although that diagnosis um, was not spoken, we were handed a piece of paper, um, you know, that had the A word listed, but we were told she had a little bit of dementia. And we really didn't get a lot of guidance on how to navigate the next steps in her journey, right? We weren't really sure about driving and safety. We weren't sure about medication management. We didn't really understand all the ways to navigate the potential for clinical trials or, or other aspects of her care. And so, you know, that really began our journey. And it was interesting because while I have a background in healthcare, um, my husband's family uh, and siblings do not. And so we really had to come together as a family and put together an action plan that we could sustain over time because we were all, you know, doing it from a distance. Um, she ultimately lost her battle and has since passed away. Um, but I truly learned so much from the experience. You know, as I often tell people, I, I, I met her when I was 16. So she certainly, um, you know, was a maternal uh, role model to me in my life. And, and our family grew quite close in managing her journey, and we learned a lot. And, you know, one of the biggest things we realized, and we've tried to, you know, reinforce in a lot of the work that we do here at Us Against Alzheimer's, because my story is not unlike so many, is that diagnostic journey is really tricky. And then the weeks and months that follow, you know, are even more difficult, because so many of us don't always have a path, and we don't always know exactly what the steps are in the journey with Alzheimer's. Um, and it was it was really challenging. And, you know, uh, we got through it, but we learned a lot and we're trying to certainly bring those lessons um, to the community through through venues like this. Um, one question I have is, can you ask uh, answer how long ago was it that she was diagnosed? I'm just curious on that. Yeah, so she was diagnosed in, uh, I think it was 2012. And what we realized in the days and weeks that followed is we uncovered some, some really unsettling realities. You know, we found notebooks scattered um, throughout, you know, her, her house that had the names of her children and the dates of their birthdays, her own name and, and birthday with how old she was, you know, it was clear that she had been experiencing some symptoms uh, for quite some time before she ultimately got to a diagnosis. So what really opened our eyes was a financial um, moment where there were multiple checks being written for the same 
vendor, to be honest. <laughs> and it, it raised a flag and that kind of began, you know, helped us to uncover that there were some but I think there was a lot of shame. You know, I think there's a lot of, as we know, in this disease, we're not diagnosing it early. We're not giving people the language they need to really start talking about it in, in the earliest stages, like we do with cancer and, and heart disease today. Um, it's really time that we make a dent in earlier detection of Alzheimer's so people don't have to suffer in silence. So it was quite a while ago um, now looking back, but certainly when I think about some of the steps that we took as a family and some of the ideas we tried to put forward to make her life easier and that of my father-in-law, you know, it feels like it was yesterday because, um, as you know, these are intense moments of caregiving for sure. Oh, absolutely. And the reason I asked is that there are, you know, there hasn't been that much change. Um, you know, my mom was diagnosed, I well, she's been gone since 2014, and, you know, 30 years she lived with the disease, and we weren't yeah. given, given much for resources, and she was really misdiagnosed for 10 years, told it was menopause, and that is still really, really common. It's depression, it's, you know, all kinds of different things, and um, it's sad that that um, projectile that could make such a difference in families' lives hasn't really changed all that much over the years. So in the last five, I've seen uh, much more progress, but we have a long, long ways to go to catch up with things like heart disease and diabetes and cancer and, and so forth. But, you know, there's enough voices out there now, and that's growing stronger all the time. So, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. You know, we just all have to kind of raise up. So. Um, I appreciate I agree you with you. That. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, I think it's part of why, you know, the patient advocacy community and, you know, um, programs like yours are so important to kind of normalize this conversation, right? I mean, 60% of cases in people 65 and older go unrecognized. If we were, if we were talking about cancer and we said, oh, you know, 60% of cases don't get treated or they get diagnosed at stage three, the, you know, the cancer community would be up in arms, right? And so I just think it's really important that we keep keep raising our voices, you know, programs like yours, keep um, at it, um, our advocacy work to try to really hone in on the fact that there is hope, you know, you can have a diagnosis earlier and actually put the right things in place for your family, for yourself, in your community so that you can access local resources. I mean, you know, I know you know this, having been a caregiver, the local resources are so important. <laughs> They're really a lifeline to a family because care is local. And, and oftentimes people don't even know what is out there until they're in a crisis. And so the earlier we can get our um, society to look at this disease with less stigma and, and more empowerment and hope, I just think families' lives will be much improved and the quality of life, life will be so much better. So that's certainly an area that I care about personally. I'm, I I get on my soapbox in, in many a social situations, but certainly at us against Alzheimer's, it's a it's a top priority for us as well. Wonderful. The only thing I, I guess I would differ on is I think local resources is, is real important or are very important, but um, you know the at large um, societal 
um, gifts that are out there in terms of resources are so needed as well because they're creative, they inspire. And, you know, bottom line, we wouldn't have dementia-friendly communities or memory cafes in this country if we weren't talking with other countries. So as much as local that's very is, true. is really important, um, and that's, uh, that you know, that's one of the reasons we even created Dementia Map was to try to pull that together to to get that creativity and that collaboration working together because so much stuff is done on the Internet. But, again, it's critical for communities and support groups um, to be able to meet in person as well and, and so many other things. So um, just wanted to throw that in there. <clears throat> no, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah let's. Let's talk about the brain guide. What exactly is it? Sure. So um, brain guide is a free platform and it's really designed to empower people who might be worried about their memory or brain health, or maybe they're worried about a loved one and they're not sure. Maybe they're noticing changes or maybe they, it's just a general concern. We've created a platform that can be accessed via the internet at mybrainguide.org, or you can actually access the platform and resource through a toll-free phone number as well, 855-BRAIN-411. And when you arrive at either the web or the phone experience, you can access information and resources, or you can opt to take a memory questionnaire. And these memory questionnaires were adapted based on tools that are used in the clinical setting today. So validated tools. We've with permission adapted them, created them into uh, an accessible phone questionnaire or via the, a web bot, so basically clicking through a series of questions. You can take the memory questionnaire for yourself, so if you're worried about yourself, you go through a series of questions, um, forward tests, uh, some distraction tasks to basically assess where you are with your memory. And based on a caregiver, if you are a caregiver or you are um, worried about someone that's close to you that you see often, you can go through the memory questionnaire as an informant and actually reflect on what you're seeing and answer questions. But really what's exciting about this is when you are done with the memory questionnaire, either for yourself or a loved one, the technology curates customized resources based on answers you provide. So if you score fine on the questionnaire, there's, there's nothing specific that, you know, uh, is identified, we might point you to resources around brain health, physical activity, nutrition, those types of things. If you score poorly on the memory questionnaire, we still would provide that information, but also including very specific things of what does it mean to have your memory checked by a provider, how to raise the topic with your provider between screening and, and diagnosis, um, or excuse me, screening and detection. So we really tailor and curate resources based on provide. We built this using Amazon Web Services technology, so state-of-the-art technology that really powers both the web bot and the voice bot. And of course, we work with medical experts to help inform every aspect of this. So from the links that you hear or see on the screen, how the results of the questionnaire are displayed, even down to the curation of content and resources based on, on your answers. And so um, that's kind of the 
Michelle, and I'll tell you the problem, Lori, that we're trying to solve here. You know, we know that millions of people are worried about their memory and brain health. You know, we know for people 50 plus, it's the number one fear. But we know that our brains are the least talked about organ, right, in our healthcare conversations. Unfortunately, around the kitchen table, it's not something we talk about often. So we really wanted to give people something very specific and action-oriented that they could do to help them take the next step in their journey with confidence. So this is not a diagnosis. I want to be super clear with your listeners. We are not intending to diagnose Alzheimer's disease. Only a doctor can do that through more tests. But what Brain Guide intends to do with a memory questionnaire is empower people, give them something specific that they can print out and bring to their doctor. We know from the interviews we did with medical experts, doctors are more likely to pay attention if somebody has, hey, I took this memory questionnaire. I didn't do so well. I think it's time we talked about my cognition versus I Googled, you know, worrying about my memory and you come to the into the doctor's office with, you know, 30 pages of um, Google ads, right? So it, it really kind of helps in that specific moment where people are worried and they take a test, excuse me, they take a questionnaire, but then they have some that they can either email to their doctor, they can print and provide it to a family member or conversations started and we want to get them started earlier. In order to access this, do people have to create an account then with a password and things like that? And is their information confidential? Yeah, so two really fantastic questions. So uh, we wanted to remove as many of the barriers as possible for this. Um, and so I can I could talk a lot about that. But specifically, all you need to do is go to mybrainguide.org call 855-272-4641. You do not have to set up a user profile. The only thing that we ask for is your email address so that we're able to email you or text you um, that set of curated resources with a summary of the results of your questionnaire. And so we're very, very cautious about how we want to make sure that we're protecting privacy. We definitely to capture that email address in order to send you the information. Um, but we do not store the results of your questionnaire with your email address or anything of that nature. Um, so it's, it is confidential. Privacy is protected. Um, it's detailed in our terms of use. It's, it's obviously very important to us because it's, it's um it's personal and it's, it's healthcare. <laughs> um, but you do not need to set up a user profile. There is no cost to using it. It's available in both English and Spanish. And really, Lori, we wanted to have the web bot option, but we also wanted to have a phone option because we recognize that while everything does feel digital and that innovation in society brings about, you know, so much, we also know that there are communities um, that may be less likely to access the web. And so having an option to access the resources via phone was really important to us when we were building the platform. Wonderful. Say, so, Brooke, I I'm just going to ask if you are on speakerphone because we're it's, it's kind of cutting in and out. And sometimes when someone's on speaker, 
that will happen. I apologize to our audience. We don't really have a whole lot of control over that, but if that is um, something that you are doing and could be changed, that would be helpful. Um, I am not. I'm using my headset and microphone. I can turn my microphone down and see, is this any better? It's, it's hard to say because it, it doesn't happen all the time, but um, we'll, why don't we try that and we'll see, we'll see what occurs. Um, you know, we okay, were fine sure. before we aired. <laughs> It's just kind of difficult. (laughs) We do test this stuff out, folks. Um, A couple other questions I had was, you know, how long is the process going to take typically? And I know everybody takes these um, quizzes and stuff at a little different pace, but do you have an average time and number of questions that, that somebody has asked? Sure. I mean, absolutely, it can be done under 10 minutes. The informant questionnaire, so if you're calling on behalf of a loved one you see often, that tends to be much shorter, probably more between, I would say, five to seven minutes. And then the questionnaire that you take for yourself, there's a series of upfront questions that we ask, and then we go through a four-word memory test a series of distraction tasks, um, like various math and and, uh, other problems. So not problems, but other kind of question and answers. And then we invite people to share back the four words. So that can take up to 10 minutes, but by and large, uh, time on site is under 10 minutes. Okay, great. And then it sounds like, you know, the tool is open basically for everyone to use if they have... um, some memory issues or if they're concerned about someone else. Do you do you guys have it broken down by men or women and cultural backgrounds and things like that in terms of who actually is accessing this right now? We sure do. So um, we launched, we've been live for four months, and I'm thrilled to share that this is great timing, Lori. We just yesterday hit milestone. We've had 100,000 people use the service and uh, participate in the memory questionnaire. About 78% of people that are using the service are women. We uh, And the age range is pretty widespread, but the bulk are 50 plus with a percentage that are between 80 and 90. We are surprised a little bit by this that, which is 80% of the people that are taking the memory questionnaire right now are taking it for themselves. So we certainly have people taking it for their loved one, but we also have the majority of folks taking it for themselves, which I think really represents an interesting point that, you know, there is this pent-up need. People are worrying about maybe subtle changes that they're seeing, or maybe they have a family history and they're concerned about themselves. We also, um, I want to mention, it's critically important, we built this platform from the very beginning to ensure it was without educational or cultural bias. So, um, as I said, it's available both in English and Spanish. And we also did uh, a ton of market research with diverse communities to ensure that the level that the income level was taken into account on research with non-white participants our goal is to have 30 percent of our audience be non-white and and that's really important for people to hear 
at us against Alzheimer's, we've always been committed to health equity. It was one of the founding principles when we started 10 years ago. And we know that women in communities of color are hardest hit within nine years. 3% of all cases will be brown or white um, Americans. So we work to every community across the country. On that, our, the Spanish-speaking usage um, is has been slower in this first four months, but we are very much focused on collaborating with our um, partners that reach Spanish-speaking uh, communities in order to to reach more people and to get more folks engaged with the platform. But those are some of the initial statistics that I can share with you just four months in. Oh, that's that's amazing! A hundred thousand people, you know, actively participating. And again, you're right. People want answers. They want guidance. They want to know, in a in a safe fashion. You know, where where can I go to investigate this? Um, where I won't necessarily be labeled quite yet, and um, will offer me some resources as well. I also want to, um, you know, give you guys kudos for doing this as bilingual and, and the work that you did to be inclusive and. Some people may wonder, you know, 30%, you know, of, of non-white, that, that is a huge number, folks, because we are not, we have not been able to reach that group of people. And so if we can get them up to 30%, that's a, that's a massive number um, because we are all, I think, trying so hard to, to bring everybody in to this realm of, of education and support. And yet it's not always an easy um, boundary to break and to be able to build the trust there. I found it really interesting that 78% were women, and then I kind of smiled at myself going, well, no, you're really not surprised <laughs> yeah. at that one, Lori. Um, right. but, I think, but I think as more people take this, you know, I think women are more likely to reach out health-wise than men, and I know I'm stereotyping then. I'm going a lot off my own personal experience there where the guys kind of push back and know I'll be just fine or um, be in denial sometimes uh, with that. But, you know, I think that that is starting to shift too, and um, and so that is nice to see. And um, so I'm sure that that number will be changing over time as well. Why do you think... Um, you know, a tool like this is is so important. And, you know, what do you see in the next, I mean, you've only been doing this four months, just in a, in a year from now. Um, what are you guys expecting to see? Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, we knew we had to create a tool like BrainGuide when we, and we just really let the data guide us, right? I mean, Early detection and diagnosis is not happening. You know, if you look at the research, especially in the in women, women want to learn more about their brain health. They want to raise the topic with their doctors. They don't know how to do market research women across the country, ages 35 to 75, and, and that's the data. I mean, they say 75% said, I want to talk to my doctor, but I don't know how. Um, so there's this huge in the marketplace and in our communities. And so we knew we had to create something that was going to spark the conversation. In my mind, we are just at the very beginning. We're just scratching the surface. I mean, if a percentage of people that experience brain 
can go to their doctor at, during their annual wellness visit and say, I want you to use more than observation. I want you to, you know, let's get a checkup from the neck up. I, I, want, a, I want a baseline. I want to understand where I stand. So when these subtle changes are happening, you know, we have a path forward. If a percentage of people raise this topic with their provider, that would be a huge, huge win. But even more than that, to your point earlier, we need this to be accessible to all communities. You know, we need community leaders that are serving um, community members to be, you know, to be the amplifiers, to say, I know there's a lot of stigma. I know you don't want to talk about this, but here's something you can do, the privacy of your own home, to see where you are. And then we'll help you get from point A to point B. So our goal right now is, is really anyone that's worrying about their brain health or memory for themselves or a loved one to take the first step by accessing this free resource. But our ultimate goal, you know, as an organization is we want to end Alzheimer's, who doesn't, but more people raising their hand, you know, whether it's around their kitchen table, whether it's in a community clinic or whether it's in an annual wellness visit so that we start talking about our brains in the same way that we talk about other aspects of our health and wellness. Um, and so Brain Guide is the beginning of that. I also would say we, we know that we're going to learn a lot from our surveys, from the work that we're doing, and we intend to continue to add resources. You and I need to talk about this uh, dementia map so we can get we can get the, your resources into our community more and you know we want to continue to bolster the resources we're providing to visitors of um, and we want to partner with organizations nationally and locally uh, to get the word out so we, we've got a lot of work to do and you're right that 30 percent non-white um, participants is a is a lofty and bold goal but that's kind of the way us against Alzheimer's has always been, you know, we've always focused on addressing the biggest um, hurdles in this disease and, and doing so through collaboration. So I have a lot of hope and a lot of excitement and personally just wouldn't be happier being invited to, um, to promote this program. Well, and, and you guys have done a lot. Um, and, and maybe just right now, this might be a good time just to mention um, Us Against Alzheimer's, different networks that you have, um, if people aren't familiar sure. with it in terms of your different groups, if you don't mind. Happy to. So Us Against Alzheimer's, you know, we are a patient advocacy organization that was founded 10 years ago in our 10-year anniversary and when we were founded, our, uh, our founders, George and the late Trish Vredenberg, really recognized that there was not enough attention and not enough research dollars being spent for Alzheimer's disease compared to heart disease, cancer, HIV, AIDS. And so they really set forth with this idea of ending this disease in 2020 and, and doing so by emphasizing the need for more research dollars and promoting resources for those communities most affected by the disease. So from the beginning, they created networks, a women's network that was designed to lift up women's voices. You know, for many years, it was not well known that women were impacted by this disease more than men, that women are more likely to have an Alzheimer's diagnosis in their 60s than breast cancer diagnosis. So we really worked hard to educate the public and broader community and to bring influential women voices together. 
We have an African-American network, which is designed to bring African-American leaders, community organizations, and policies that really try to take a, take a, make a dent in, in the great disparities that exist, not only with the number of cases of Alzheimer's disease, but just in the diagnostic process. You know, Americans are less likely to be diagnosed. Americans, and then we also created a Latino network. Um, Latinos are one and a half times more likely to develop the disease, and despite this higher risk, you know, most of Latino Americans living with the disease are less likely to be told they have a diagnosis, um, you know, and, and they are more likely to report racial discrimination in their patient and caregiver journey. So, George and Trish really had a vision to identify those most impacted, very much have a laser-like focus on bringing those stories to light and changing policies in order to support the people that are most vulnerable to this disease. As we look at our next 10 years, you know, it's really exciting to see our, our areas of focus. As a patient advocacy organization, we've identified those places where we think we can have the biggest impact. So we're focused, number one, on health equity, as I've said, that has remained true. Number two, we're really focusing on early intervention and promoting brain health. We were one of the first organizations to really adopt that phrase and create um, new initiatives around brain health and brain health equity. Number three, we, we do research on an ongoing basis around the voices of people living with the disease and their care partners. You know, we want to know what matters most to them. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love your program so much. You have real people, real stories on, on your program. And, you know, it's often not the case in Alzheimer's disease where we're actually hearing from people that are living with the disease, not only the caregivers, but people with lived experience. That's a big part of our work. And then we also know that there are a lot of regulatory and um, policy barriers to speeding treatments. Um, you know, this this Alzheimer's community has has been without um, real treatment for a really long time, and so looking at ways to reduce those barriers is, of course, a priority as well. So that's a little bit more about us. You know, we're certainly a, a entrepreneurial and collaborative group of folks that are passionate about this field. I think I think almost every one of us um, has had a personal experience with the disease, you know, and I think that really sparks the fire in us to keep keep going with the work. Well, and what I what I love against us against Alzheimer's too is the diversity. You mentioned the African Americans, but there and the Latinos, but there's also women against uh, Alzheimer's. There's a Faith United. There's clergy against Alzheimer's. You've got your youth group. And, you know, I see that there's a paid leave alliance. Um, and um, and I believe you were working with veterans as well, had a veterans group, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, but there's you're always evolving and trying to be more and more inclusive um, as you go. And you're really looking at things from a unique um viewpoint and and one that that isn't afraid of big lofty goals um and that belief that we can do better um than what we have and and that that good is is never enough you know it can always be better <laughs> no matter how good we think it is today tomorrow we can still make it better um especially when Absolutely. we're listening and and being hey, inclusive Lori, 
were you talking to were you just talking to George Radenberg, our founder? <laughs> no, I wasn't. that's exactly right. It's, you know, we do good work, and then we've got to keep going and do better work. So um, it's you said it so well. It just made me smile. So yeah. it's great to hear. That has just been a belief of mine since day one. When I when I walked into this space, you know, and and started creating different things, people are like, "Well, you know, that's good." And I'm like, "It'll never be good enough. We'll never. None of us will ever know enough." Because this disease is different for every single person, every single family. Right. And, you know, the the types of diseases, just like with cancer, they're multiplying. There's all different types out there. And so it's just a constant learning curve. And the creative services and products and tools that are coming um, and evolving, many of them from family situations saying, what about this? What about that? And that's that's the thing that keeps me going is connecting with people like you and and George and us against Alzheimer's and so many um, big and small organizations working together to improve the world and not worried about hey what if what if it fails or what if we don't meet our goal? Well, at least we're trying. At least we've developed a goal. At least we're after something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's kind of my I, absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's what I tell my kids, you know. I mean, it's, it's setting goals is, even if it feels far away, you, you, you have to point your eyes towards something to know the direction you're going, right? And we, there has been so much uh, despair in Alzheimer's disease and so many, I mean, when you ask, you know, certainly, but I mean, I'm sure this happens to you all the time. Friends from my childhood that I haven't spoken to in 25 years that saw me post something on Facebook and said, oh, my aunt's going through it. My mom's going through it. I'm worried about my dad. And I do feel like because of innovation, because of um, the attention that Alzheimer's is finally getting, you know, there's more hope on the horizon than there ever has before. And, and that's really exciting too. You know, I think it's, we're in a new place and I think that is definitely, I think, giving hope to a lot of people. Oh, exactly. You know, when you were talking too about um, with the brain guide getting, getting um, out into communities, I mean, a lot of people don't even know there's dementia friendly communities popping up all over the place. And I guess, you know, COVID's kind of pulled everything back there, but there are a lot of local resources and people gathering to do better. And anybody listening can be part of that. You know, you don't have to be a professional. In fact, we want the everyday person part of those processes because you're living it. And so it really is, there's so much to learn from from everybody with that. But you know, if that could get um, to those communities, if it could get out to the libraries, a lot of the libraries are now having um, a section specifically for dementia and caregiving and giving out resources. I mean, there's just so many beautiful places that would be safe places for people to be able to grab this information. And again, the doctor's office or clinic would be wonderful and not just necessarily uh, their primary. I mean, it could be at a... Um, you know, going to get your uh, audio checked or your eyes checked. Um, you know, people are looking for information in all different kinds of places, and uh, so it's just really important that we that we don't limit 
where people can access this information either. It really has to become, um, in my opinion, um, much more accessible. And, um, you know, I would, I would love to see more cities like Roseville, Minnesota, actually work with a dementia-friendly group and, and have a section on their website. I still think to this day they're the only one in the nation doing that. But, you know, that's getting that local focus and, you know, a safe place for people to be able to access. And we need more and more and more of those types of things to share the brain guide and, and all the other things that, that us against Alzheimer's uh, are, are doing. So how do people actually now, access this? Yeah. And, and Oh, go ahead. If you've got a comment on that. Yeah, I wanted to comment. I, I just love, I love everything you just said. And, and we actually were fortunate enough to do a webinar with uh, an association. There were several um, executive directors of uh, local libraries that were participating, and and um, and we had an opportunity to do a presentation with the Dementia Friendly America group as well. And so, and we've been doing. I think I've done about fifty-five um, presentations since we launched. And one of the things that we kept hearing over and over again, Lori, was just give us a community toolkit. You know, give us a widget, we a banner we can put on our website, give us a poster that we can order from you or we can print and share in the community. And so I do just want to let folks know they're listening. Um, you know, they certainly can get in touch with me or through the contact at mybrainguide.org. Um, and we really are trying to make it accessible to local community groups that want to put it either on a digital platform or as a handout uh, in the local community. We have an entire toolkit both in English and in Spanish that folks can access as well. Fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, you know, before I talk about how people can access, because I know it's just kind of through the website, have you heard feedback from people who have actually gone through the process, and what are they saying? Yeah, this is probably the my most favorite part of the work. You know, we, at the very beginning when we were building it, we actually were, we interviewed people living with the disease, as well as caregivers uh, in a wide range of experiences to get their feedback. And we've since continued that process and get testimonials. And one of the people that we've worked with um, who has uh, Alzheimer's disease, she's one of the few that were was diagnosed very early. And she was diagnosed because she um, was a uh, a nurse and and her friend and colleague was a neurologist who noticed things early on, and she said to us, "Brain guide felt to her like her friend did at the beginning of her diagnosis. It was very simple, it was accessible, and it helped her understand what the steps were in her journey." We've talked to caregivers who have told us, "I wish I had this when I started noticing signs." with my mom because I knew something was off. I knew she needed help, but I didn't have all the language and the words and the pathway to know how to navigate. So I think that we're hearing over and over again from folks, and we have surveys, we've got 2,000 people so far that have filled out surveys, and folks are largely satisfied, you know, with what they are receiving is it's helping them understand the next step. Some people say, wow, I was really worried and, and I did okay on the questionnaire. I'm going to come back in three months and do it again. 
Um, so we're getting to feedback, but I would say overarching is I wish I had this when I was dealing with my own experience or, you know, this really does help me understand what's coming next. Um, the, the Alzheimer's journey, as you said so well, I mean, it's not well understood. If you've met one person with a disease, you've met one person. And so helping people navigate, I think, is really important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and everybody does it a little bit different. And so I think that's where it is so helpful. I know it was for me to hear from different voices. Because somebody could, you know, I could hear the same message 10 different ways, and I'm going to resonate with one more than another and go, oh, now I get it. You know, not, now it applies. Or maybe I'm in a little different place, too. Um, so I don't think we can have enough voices or enough resources because, um, you know, things change. You know, just our mental capacity as a, as a person diagnosed or as a care partner in terms of what you can even take in at one time. Um, you know, it, it has Absolutely. a lot to do with it as well and what else is going on, you know, with, with one's life. So, um, again, kudos to you guys and your success. This is just the beginning with this. Um, I am I am so thrilled uh, that you have launched this and, um, and the magnitude in which you've touched people is just uh, absolutely, absolutely fabulous. So um, for people, they can go to... Um, mybrainguide.org and that'll bring them right to the website. Is there anything about the website that you want them to know before they before they push the button on what they can expect there? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the, the homepage makes it super easy. So you just say it, there's a button that says start your questionnaire. So you can start just with that and click on the button and go through the experience or you can browse the resources that we have at the top of the page that by clicking on the resources button. Um, so pretty simple. And, and then, of course, if you would prefer to access the service through the phone, you can also call 855-BRAIN-411. And for those that don't like the uh, using Brain411, it's 272-4641. And you go through an automated um, experience, which, you know, Lori, we were worried about when we first built it. And the survey data came back to, to say that um, it was really resonating well with folks. I think people have grown accustomed that experience. So, you know, if you only have a landline and not a computer, you can dial this number and get the information for, for yourself or for a loved one. Well, and I think that was so smart. And again, that just shows, you know, big picture thought about being inclusive, making sure that people are comfortable with whatever technology and availability that they have um, to still be able to access and get the information. So I think that was um, just really a brilliant thing to be able to offer people. It, it just, it says a lot and it separates you from uh, many others that are out there um, in terms of, you know, we really want to help. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be high tech <laughs> to, to be able to maneuver yeah. through this system. And so I think the different types of, of supports that you have there are, are really important. The other thing is, you know, people can go to usagainstalzheimers.org, too. And one thing that we didn't mention, and if you wouldn't mind highlighting, because I absolutely love this, but we didn't really talk about this uh, by name, is the A-list and what that is all about. 
Absolutely. So our A-list is our signature program that's really designed to address one of our priorities that I mentioned earlier about wanting to raise the voices of people with the disease and their care partners. So we have a cohort of patients and caregivers, close to 10,000 now, that we regularly survey matters most um, in their journey. Right. Well, maybe it matters people with close, or maybe people are worried about losing independence from driving. But we, until we ask people (laughs) what matters most to them, we really need to be careful about assumptions, especially when it comes to a disease like Alzheimer's with its complexity. And so we run regular surveys and questions with this audience to really try to understand what matters to them in their in their lives, what types of technologies and tools are they accessing, what do they wish they had when they were going through their journey. And, and what's really interesting is when we talk to people with lived experience, you know, what matters most to them. Certainly we know that um, COVID has played a huge uh, role or part in in uh, impacting the Alzheimer's community. We know that people living with the disease and their care partners are experiencing, you know, unprecedented levels of stress, um, more cognitive decline. And so we also have a COVID series where we're regularly surveying to understand what their experience has been and how they're coping with the disease. So the A-list is is really important to us. It's a constant um, reminder in our work to be thinking about what matters most to the people that we're ultimately here to serve. Uh, One of the things that I love about the A-list is that they're quick, easy surveys, and they're on very important topics, and that you always get back to your audience with results. Um, so many times we're asked to participate, and we never like, well, what the heck happened? What what were the results of that? And, right. <laughs> and I think that that's really important to keep people engaged so that they know that what they participated in was useful, and you know they can see that because um, I think purpose is so so important in in everybody's lives, and and they're very um, they're very short. I mean, they just really take a couple of minutes um, to go through and incomplete and so i and and they talk you know they take in all of life too and so sometimes i think people think oh the survey it's going to be really medically oriented or whatever and um you know you talk about emotions you talk about all different types of things that they study social engagement and um i i just think i i do think we have to focus on the whole person um and uh in the in the whole family and society as a I whole. agree we have to come together sure. so again um brooks i can't thank you enough for for all the time that you've spent with us is there anything that that i missed in terms of asking you that that people should know about i think we covered everything i would just i would just offer the idea that you know, we don't want anybody left behind by this disease, right? And so for anybody that's listening, either for themselves or for someone they care about or perhaps someone that they know might be worried about their own cognition, I would just really encourage people to take the first step. Um, you know, certainly one of those could be going to my brain guide, but 
just start talking if you can, right? I mean, we just want people to start talking about this disease, sharing their experiences, sharing their stories, uh, sharing their fears, and and um, and and what is working, so that we can have a more uh, open dialogue about this disease that's impacting, you know, six million people in our country and only growing. So I, w- I just really thank the listeners um, for, for hearing our story today. And, and Lori, you've just been such an incredible champion for this movement. So I appreciate you giving us your platform to share our work with you. And, and I hope we can come back and, and give you an update as we continue down this road. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. And, you know, the six million are the ones we know. <laughs> There's a exactly. lot of people out I there. I should have said that. Yeah, you said it better than we, me, right? That, of course. We, that we don't know. But again, until we get people comfortable in in terms of having this conversation and going to their doctors, we we're never going to know the true, real need. But we know it's massive, and that this isn't a disease of one. This is really a disease of society. And so, you know, together we can shift everybody from crisis to comfort. And so. You know, after listening to this show, please share this, you know, um, like it, you know, um, share it on your Facebook page or in an email or a newsletter. Let them know about My Brain Guide and let let people know about Us Against Alzheimer's. Um, These are really, really important um, resources that can help people out on multiple levels. And not only can they help you, but you can help them. You can be part of some of these groups and some of these efforts, you can be an advocate, big or small, it all matters. So know that just because somebody that you're sitting with hasn't mentioned they're dealing with this, chances are they are. We just haven't gotten to that comfort level. So, you know, share the nuggets. Um, Don't be stingy with that stuff, guys. It's free to do and takes just seconds. Um, I, again, I want to thank our audience. I want to thank uh, Brooks, um, the Brain Guide, and uh, Us Against Alzheimer's for all the work that they're doing. If you'd like more information about um, Alzheimer's Speaks, you know, please visit us. We're going to be redesigning our website, so I can't wait to launch that hopefully in the next month. Um, and then also check out um, Dementia Map. Uh, lots of great um, services, products, and tools there with more coming on every day. And if you have one of those and want to join us, we would love, love to have you be part of Dementia Map. Thank you, everybody, and we will talk again on Thursday. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.